My name is Brian Wish. I'm an entrepreneur, CEO, and Pathfinder. If I've learned anything in life, it's that self-discovery is a critical part of living intentionally, building meaningful relationships, and achieving the future we see for ourselves. In July of 2021, I sold all my possessions, headed west, and began a quest to live a fuller and more meaningful life. The experience helped me truly understand the power of a single moment. And through my conversations with leaders from all walks of life, I've seen how that one phone call, heartbreak, diagnosis, or lost job can transform the entire course of our lives. In this podcast, I sit down with entrepreneurs, influencers, and experts across industries to talk through the events that changed everything. Together, we'll relive the make-or-break decisions, hard conversations, periods of despair and hope, chance encounters, and everything that followed. Heather Greenwood Davis is a contributing writer and on-air storyteller for National Geographic, as well as a freelance feature writer for The Globe and Mail. Heather has been reporting and writing stories professionally for more than 20 years. A recognized expert in the industry, her work appears regularly in print and digital publications. Heather regularly appears as a trusted expert on television and radio, and has shared insights from stages of conferences and trade gatherings hosted by Trav Media, U.S. Travel Association, Destination Canada, and many others. Her travels and experiences have also been featured in O Magazine and on NPR. Heather was named a National Geographic Traveler of the Year in 2012 after her family of four spent a year traveling around the world, sharing their insights through articles and social media. Though her work encompasses far more than traditional family travel stories, she is also the voice behind GlobechartingMama.com, an international family travel blog that features the adventures she takes with and without her husband, Ish, and their two sons, Ethan and Cameron. Heather, welcome to the One Away Show. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Thank you. Well, I uh, I reached out because I just kind of found your background fascinating, and here we are. Um, but we're going to dive in and uh, share your one-away moment. Uh, what is coming up for you? What What is the one-away moment you want to share with us today? Well, I would say that my one-away moment is uh, probably in 2007, when uh, after leaving a career in law, Uh, I came home prepared to start a freelance life, and my husband came home uh, not long after and said that he had an opportunity to take a year off of work. So uh, in four years, if he worked, um, you know, if he took home 80% of his pay for four years but worked the same amount of time, then in the fifth year, he could have that pay back and he could skip work for a year. And uh, we had two little kids at the time. And we were thought about it and said, you know what, we're going to do it because we had always talked about the fact that we wanted to take a year and travel the world. And we decided that we weren't going to let the kids stop us. And so in 2007, we made that decision. Okay. Uh, bold, <laughs> brave, crazy, uh, adventure. All of the above. Yeah. All of the above. Well, first question, uh, was this, this was a shared dream or vision for you both? Is that Correct. Yeah. 
Yeah. So when we, um, I, my husband and I have been together since my last year of high school. So we, wow. we have a long history and we're very old now. So we have a long history together. And, um, you know, when we got married, we were like, you know, this marriage isn't going to stop us from traveling and seeing the world. Right. We're like, no, no, absolutely not. And we continued to travel. And then we had our first child and, um, that totally threw a wrench into things or, or seem to have the potential to throw a wrench into things. And, um, we were like, we're still gonna, you know, travel the world and do all kinds of things. And we were both like, yeah, we are, but it wasn't coming along as quickly, um, as we thought it would. And so, you know, when he came home and said this in 2007, my oldest would have been about five, mm. um, at that point, uh, it really struck a, a nerve with me because it was something we'd wanted to do. And here was an opportunity. It seemed to do it. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, what a uh, empowering journey ahead, which I can't wait to get into. Uh, I'd love to maybe go back though a little bit. Uh, you sure. talked about, you know, it was your husband and your goals all along to do. I think you had a kid and maybe got a little bit harder. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you throw yourself in your jobs and then life just gets away. And then, okay, well, you wait until you're 55 or 60 when the kids are older and you just do it. But right. you said, no, I'm going to do it now. What was your biggest fear? right? To say, kids aren't going to stop us. We're going to be super unconventional and we're going to go for it. What were some of the things that you had to overcome and maybe work through, whether that's with yourself, with people around you? Kind of yeah. take us back to that moment. You know, um, by that point of my life, by the time we said yes to this trip to each other, hmm. um, I wasn't afraid because, you know, I had just been in a career. So I am a journalist by training. I went to journalism school. Uh, I, after journalism school, I worked at a newspaper and then I kind of just fell into a law career. It was not my intention. I, I ended up, um, you know, do scoring well on an LSAT on a bit of a dare. And then because I'd scored well in the LSAT, I just followed, followed, you know, the stones, right? So did well on the LSAT. So I went to law school, uh, went to law school and was prepared to come back to journalism and instead got an offer from a law firm that made it tempting and some, you know, encouragement from the newspaper I was at to, to pursue this law degree. And suddenly I was down this rabbit hole with law that I had never, ever intended um, to go down. So when I left law in 2007, because I, I realized, you know, after having my son that I, I didn't want to be there, I didn't like it, it wasn't what I wanted to do. I'd always loved writing. I wanted to get back to that. That for me was the harder decision. I was walking away from the potential of a career that could make me wealthy. Um, it meant that I was taking away opportunities. My kids, mm. you know, the private school was out as a travel writer compared to a, to a lawyer. There were a lot of decisions that were going to be different. Mm. Um, and so that was difficult. So leaving that and then coming to make this decision to follow what I believe to be true about the world, that it was going to be open and warm and kind to us and that we should go and explore it. And it would be better for my kids if we did. Um, that was an easier choice. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. And what I'll say is, you know, maybe you might've been worried about the kids didn't get, maybe go to private school and maybe a more homogenous type of education, but no, they got a worldly education. Absolutely. Uh, that they'll carry with them for the rest of their life. They do. So. Absolutely. They do very cool well i mean i'm sure it was scary but like you said you're ready you're brave and you know it wasn't going to stop you now take me back to like your husband you back in the day like high school since high school sweethearts is that yeah pretty much <laughs> i haven't heard that since my grandparents 
So you guys in high school, were you always adventurous? Were you guys more kind of functional, kind of check this box, check that box? Or was it, I'm just curious, like what were you guys like before life got real and adulthood kind of came into its own? were that different. Um, but, but we didn't go to the same high school. My husband's older than I, so I was in my last year of high school. He was already in college. Um, when we met and then I went away to school twice. So this isn't a love story where, you know, we met and then we're never, you know, uh, ever apart. I, I went and pursued my own dreams, but we just stayed connected the whole time. Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, we, it, it's kind of great when you know somebody for that long, you really are sort of, um, growing and, um, becoming yourself with that person, you know? And Mm. so there was no, there was no big change in who we were. We were, he probably traveled less than I, my family traveled when I was a kid. We traveled, uh, throughout Canada, um, and the U S and the Caribbean a lot. Um, but we'd never been when I was a kid, we'd never been like beyond that, you know? So I don't know where it came from, but, but he definitely followed me into travel and fell in love with it. That's amazing. And just so just to be clear for the story's sake, you guys were kind of off and on throughout that period or no. you were, oh, you're already no. together. Yeah, completely wow. together, but, but just in different cities, long distance, the whole nine yards. I think you guys need to write a book on commitment. <laughs> Maybe. Good. That'd be good for our uh, times of today where you can just swipe left and right. Um, so let's talk about this. You made the decision you guys went for it. How you decide what was next? You know, you, you had to give up the luxury of, you know, the pay that would come with law travel writing isn't as maybe financially luxurious, but is yeah. also a incredibly, I'm sure uplifting and fulfilling role. Absolutely. And, but what, how did, what were your first few steps, both for you and your husband? Okay. So, so 2007, he comes home, he says that uh, he can get that year. And honestly, for me, that moment switched uh, a mindset for me Hmm. because what happened in that moment is suddenly everything I was going to do going forward was being measured against uh, the fact that I was going to be leaving in four years. So it was, you know, do I need to go and spend a hundred bucks at this store on this, you know, candle set or something? Uh, I'm only going to be able to use it for about, you know, four years or three years or two years as we're going forward. And so cash spending um, decisions were different. Um, We also weren't, it it just sort of shortened the span of time that we had to be concerned about things because we were leaving Mm. in four years. And um, for the kids, we didn't tell them until we were just about ready to go like a couple months out or something because they were so little. Um, so yeah, so it didn't probably didn't um, affect their world as much, but for me, it definitely changed the way that I thought about things in the mm-hmm. lead up. Okay, so do, do you find that freeing or liberating in a way? Like it was yeah. absolutely freeing, and Tell it only more. got better. It Tell only got better. Well, let me tell you that as a parent. When you have um, little kids, what what happens quite quickly is you start off. You've got this baby, and it's all yours, and you're at home, and um, you know you don't have to really share it. You know, it's just yours and whoever comes to visit. And then as they get to school age and they begin to attend school, and suddenly they're in all kinds of you know classes and karate lessons and swimming lessons, and and you're worried that you're not going to expose them to the, whatever that one thing mm-hmm. is that they are going to be the absolute best talent at, right? What if 
I never gave my kids hockey. And what if they're meant to be the best hockey player, right? Like there's, there's all this stress and angst that parents take on um, as their kids get to school. And then in addition to that, your kids are being exposed, yes, to other kids and however they're being raised, but they're also being exposed to other adults and authority figures. And, you know, you start to see in your child some doubt and some, um, you know, self-esteem issues Hmm. that, you know, you weren't necessarily encountering. So for me, I had one son who was really shy. Um, one was really concerned about what the friends at school thought, all of those kinds of, um, thinking and concerns were, were starting to sort of show up. And here at home, we were feeling the pressure of, we can't sit down for dinner tonight because dad's taking someone to karate and mom's taking someone to swimming. And then we got to come back and do homework. And there were just all of these outside pressures on really little kids. And then the other thing I remember that really struck Mm. me before we left was that there were um, the bell at school. So I went in to help with a class science in the school type project or something in one of their classrooms and realized that the bell goes off all the time at school. And it's almost Pavlovian, right? Like eat your lunch, stop your lunch, go for recess, come back for recess. Mm. Like it's just constantly, and it's this pressure that as parents, we're not even really aware of because we're out of that space. Hmm. So for me, the ability to clear everything off the plate, take these kids and my husband and just run away from all of it um, for a year was liberating and exciting. And um, I felt like I was saving them. That's what it felt like. You uh, used the words run away. It doesn't sound like a, a runaway. It's more like a step into a a different way of living, one that from a functional, restrictive, check these six boxes today to a fluid, spontaneous, we're going to go adventure for a year kind of way. Yeah. And we, I mean, we were, we embraced it as a no rule situation. So we decided that we weren't going to know exactly where we were going when we left. We had a few tickets to start us off. We had a connection here at a travel agent, a connection in the sense that we hired a travel agent um, to help us, Mm. uh, you know, plot our route as we went. Um, We had a list of places that we were interested in visiting, but we really wanted to be in control of our time. We wanted to eat when we were hungry, sleep when we were tired, um, you know, leave a place because we were ready to leave, not because, you know, our pre-arranged itinerary said we had to leave that day. Hmm. So it was a very, um, you know, luxurious, not in a not in a financial way at all, but luxurious in a time, the amount of time we had kind of way to travel. You know, yeah. we really went with our whims. Yeah. And um, sounds like a lot of just freedom. Yeah, it was. And it not, was. not so much in... Um... Yes, I think I've been thinking a lot about freedom, right? From yes, freedom of choice, but mm-hmm. freedom to make decisions aligned with your values. And it seems like that that blend you're able to achieve on both sides. Yeah. And you were able to, as a parent, also impart those values mm. fully onto our kids. Like they've been imprinted with those values. They know what we we think of the world and they understand how we what we think of people and how um you know, the, the values we place in equity and equality and, um, 
you know, allowing people to be whoever they are and embracing that. Like we, all of those values we were able to share without sort of sitting them down for a lecture and hoping they got it in 15 minutes. You know, they, they, we embraced a lifestyle through travel that just exposed them to things. And they were able to watch and see how we behaved in situations and to take that on as their own. Mm. Yeah. So cool. I, uh, I was just, I just was talking to someone and he, he was telling me about how they're trying to create more leap years between high school and college. And, mm. but you, you know, you, you created a leap year for yourselves as an adult, but for your kids, it's such a formative early age that shaped their worldview. Tell me this, what, what were some of the places that you went first and what was most surprising and what did you learn about yourself through some of your experiences at these different physical locations? Yeah. I mean, over the course of the year, we hit 29 countries on six continents. So we were moving. So this trip had two purposes. On the one hand, it was about family and about being together and um, values and all of that. And the other side of it was professionally, as a young mom, I couldn't travel very far as a travel writer because I couldn't go for long because I needed to be back to be with the kids. So this was an opportunity as well. We definitely chose places thinking, let's go to the faraway spots so that when we come back and mom goes back to work, you know, then she can run away to the Caribbean or the U.S. or, or what have you. Those are easy, quick trips. Um, so we started out the, you know, we went west through Canada. I'm based in Toronto and we went west across the, the um, provinces uh, to British Columbia. And then we went into South America. Um, and we spent time in um, Argentina and Peru and, and you name it. And probably the first big shock, I would say, to the system, you know, the first place where we felt like we had to readjust our approach a little bit would be China. So we did 30 days in China. Um, we sort of did the common sea. So we, we went in through Beijing, Xi'an, Chengdu, uh, who am I missing? Guangzhou, I think. And then, uh, Shanghai, wow. uh, over the course of 30 days. And, uh, for me, that was a really formative period. It was difficult. We don't have any language there, right. Outside of people who were speaking English, we didn't have that. We stand out. We're a black family. We look different than people there so that we were noticed for sure. Um, but it was great because the, the thing about travel that I think I enjoy the most and that makes it the best learning experience is that the further you travel from home, the more vulnerable you're required to be. Mm. It just comes with the territory. You're going to be somewhere and not know how to get somewhere else, right? You're going to have to depend on the kindness of a stranger uh, to figure out, you know, what, where you can eat or what you can eat or where's a good place to stay or what neighborhood you should be in. You're going to have to depend on other people. Um, and as a result, you're going to have to be vulnerable. You can't be walk into those situations, uh, asserting that your way is the only way because you don't know anything about this place. And that vulnerability I found, and because we were so far from home for so long, really was probably the greatest reward of the whole thing. We met so many great people as a result of it. Yeah, that's beautiful insight. Like the further you're away, the more vulnerable you were, but that vulnerability led you to operating so far outside your comfort zone, but also forcing you to cultivate relationships with people on the yeah. homeland to maybe help you navigate a little more. Easily. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Do you, um, t if, if anything comes up, 
I'd be curious, you know, when you, when you talked about those moments where you were most vulnerable, do any experiences come to mind where we're like, oh shit moments or? Yeah, so that, many. All right, sure, sure. So what, many. So I remember in China, at one point we, we landed in Chengdu and somehow I had misread the train times and we ended up coming out of the train station with these two little kids at what was probably like four o'clock in the morning pitch black outside outside of the Chengdu train station a lot of locals will just it doesn't necessarily mean it, it could be a sign of poverty but it's not necessarily a sign of poverty but people will just like roll out a piece of cardboard and lay outside the station while they wait for the train that they're supposed to to get on so you can imagine at like three or four in the morning we walk out uh there are people lying all over the ground outside it's pitch black um, and we're like, okay, no problem. We're just going to hop in a cab and go to our, uh, hotel only to realize that we had forgotten in China. One of the, the best pieces of advice I can give someone is that you should always get your destination written in Chinese characters on a, a piece of paper so that when, cause a lot of the cab drivers don't speak English, right? Um, I'm in China, it's expected. So, um, I forgot to do that. Oh, no. And so we come out in the middle of the night, we go to try to get a cab and the cab drivers are trying to talk to us in Mandarin or Cantonese. And we, of course, can't respond. And we're, it's getting elevated because all of the cab drivers are seeing that this is a potentially great fare, you know, like here's four people are trying to get a cab. And so they start fighting with each other and there's arguments and we're, we don't know what to do. We're, we're, you know, have nowhere to go. Don't know what to do. And this man walks by, I just sort of see him out of the corner of my eye, older gentleman, Chinese man walks by and I see him look at us, keep walking. And then he sort of gets to the corner, gives this heavy sigh, you know, turns around and comes back and says to us, do you need help in English? And, you know, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Yes, this is the situation we're trying to get here. And, you know, I made the mistake. I didn't do this or whatever. And he goes, okay, where are you trying to go? And he said, okay, give me a minute. And he negotiates with these people. Like, really, I don't know it, it here in Toronto or if I was in New York or, you know, would I just trust that this person wasn't, this wasn't some sort of con or what have you. But we were so um, in such a state and so desperate that we had to be vulnerable. and this guy turned out to be the greatest thing. So he not only negotiated the fare for us and spoke to them about where we were going and got rid of, you know, sort of the, uh, the cabs that weren't really cabs that were, were trying to, to, to get us in their cars, um, you know, and then probably charge us a little more or whatever. And he, he got us in a cab. He came in the cab with us oh my God. to make sure we got where we were going. And then when we got there, you know, like we were overwhelmed. We're like, we got to take you for breakfast and we've got to what have you. And so we have this conversation with him and he basically said to us, he said, you know, I wasn't going to stop because I figure here are two tourists, you know, they should know better. They should have, you know, who, why should I stop and, and get involved in this situation? And then I saw the kids and he said, when I saw that you were a family, I knew I couldn't leave you in the dark on a street corner in a foreign place, that wasn't the the situation I wanted to leave you in. And so he, um, you know, he helped, he didn't have to, and he helped. And that's just one. I mean, we, we met a, a tuk-tuk driver in Cambodia 
fun. Like our first day there, he just happened to be sitting outside of the place we were staying. And, you know, so my husband is a bit of a, a talker. And so he, he was, you know, he was chatting with him as we unloaded our stuff and we paid him and he went on his way, but that was kind of his post. And so my husband would go out and chat with him every morning or every afternoon, whenever he was there. And if we needed to go somewhere, we would hire the same guy and, and go. And the night before we were supposed to leave, he sort of sheepishly came up to us and said, you know, I was telling my wife about you. I would love to have you meet my family. Do you want to come to my home? And we were like, yeah. (laughs) So we went to his house, which was, you know, sort of a one room in a, uh, you know, the tuk-tuk driver. He doesn't have a ton of money. He's not in a big fancy house. It's just this one room that had a bedroom, a bathroom, a kitchen, sort of all in one room. We sat on the floor uh, around a hot pot, you know, with his wife and the baby. And she had very little English, but it didn't matter. We, we had this wonderful evening. Neighbors are peeking in the door. Like, why is this weird family of four <laughs> sort of encroaching on this little space? And it's one of the best memories. We laughed late into the night. He took us, he took us back to the hotel later, you know, but I'm like, what do my kids learn in a situation like that? Right. They learn that people can be kind. They learn that you're supposed to open yourself up to opportunities to get to know people. There's just so much there that they can walk away from that. You, you're not going to get in a classroom at school. Oof. Uh, <laughs> and breathe. <laughs> I'm just going to take it all in. You know, that's a lot to process. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think I think both stories, right, um, just show the human condition in such a raw form. People will take you in and embrace you with an extended helping hand without even knowing you. But then you also being open to receiving that help. Uh, it takes two, yeah. right? And it's like, yeah. oh, I don't need to do this all on my own. And, and I, I can't. Go, right. And you're going to go with the wave of the kind of experience and let it take you where it's supposed to, opposed to forcing it a certain way, which like you said, when you throw yourself in those vulnerable moments, it's, it's all you can do. Um, Right. Right. And I think that's the difference is that I think most of us probably encounter situations that could be those situations in our regular lives. I don't think you have to travel around the world to uh, you know, strike up a conversation with the guy who's driving your cab, right? That doesn't have to happen. But the difference is the confidence and sort of arrogance we carry at home that dissipates when you're traveling, you know? So, so you're open to it in a different way. Yeah. Oh my God. So, so wild. Um, so you're, you're two beautiful boys, uh, in your photo behind you. Uh, (laughs) how, how, how old were they when they went on this trip? Uh, they were, we went in 2011, I think they were five and seven, but quickly turned six and eight. Um, so like, I think when we left, they were officially five and seven, but they quickly turned six and eight and, uh, yeah. And now they are 19 and 17. Unbelievable. Um, so you're 19 and 17 year old boys. How do you think when they look back on this trip, if I was sitting in front of them and I said, how did your experience as a young, you know, younger child how yeah. did that shape you once you came back? What do you think they would say? They would have so much to say. They get asked a lot. Um, the 17-year-old uh, was the one that was really shy. He now 
uh, first of all, like almost immediate, that was the thing that struck me. It's not that, um, it took years and years after he came back for us to see sort of, you know, the difference in him immediately. We came back, they went to school in the September. So we returned in like the summer and they went back to school in a September. And within weeks of going back to school, he came home and said, you know, so-and-so at school is, says they're not going to be my friend anymore. Like within weeks, <laughs> you know, which is exactly what we had left at the, at when we left a year before. And, uh, you know, I sort of, you know, held my breath and said, um, well, how do you feel about that? What did, what did you say? And he says, I told him I got friends in France. <laughs> <laughs> and that like, to me, sums up exactly how they came back. They came back as far more confident kids who understood that the world was bigger than the neighborhood they were growing up in mm. that. And what happens then is if, if your whole world isn't in, you know, the four blocks around your house, then the things that happen in those four blocks begin to not be as big, you know? So a, a kid at school, not liking you here, but knowing that you've made friends in places all around the world, suddenly that kid here is like, oh, all right, you know, you can't win them all. But, you know, but you move on from it in a different way than if that kid is the center of your universe. Mm -hmm. um, and so both of them sort of carried this confidence uh, forward through school. They are very independent people. Um, you know, they have great circles of friends around them, but I've never encountered any kind of uh, peer pressure issues. They're very open with us. We remain a very, very close um, almost shockingly close, uh, family of four because of all this time we spent together. And, um, yeah, I'm really proud of it. And I totally believe, believe that it's the travel and that experience of bonding away from home, um, that did it. Yeah. Unbelievable. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, in those vulnerable moments, the people who help you through, uh, become those lifelong relationships, whether yeah. it's sports, emotional yeah. ship, traveling the world, right? So I think yeah. what you're saying is, you know, yeah, it was my family, but it wasn't just because they're my family. I mean, of course, they'd always be blood. Yeah. We, we did a super adventurous, challenging, hard, brave adventure, and we all grew individually, but we all grew collectively. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they are, they are, like, they are cool people. Like, cool. I really enjoy... Yeah, I love being around them. They are interesting people with opinions and ideas. Um, Cameron, my youngest, is now uh, a social activist. He runs his own business. He's 17. He runs his own business. Um, you know, he leads, uh, he co-founded a, a group here in our area that, um, you know, fights for social justice issues. And, you know, it's incredible. And my older son is not, uh, he doesn't do the same thing. He's not, you know, necessarily someone who's going to stand up in front of a crowd and do things, but he makes decisions along the way about helping people and, you know, what he cares about along the way that I'm equally proud of. Like, they're just great people. I heard a quote uh, uh, a couple months ago. So the parents only as happy as their least happiest kid. <laughs> and it sounds like, you know, as a mom and I'm sure as your husband, you guys are, you sound so proud and there's so much joy, right. For the, the people that they have become, uh, yeah. which you got to give like a lot of credit, right. To yourselves as well. Like you, you shaped and developed. 
somewhat, but I feel like what we did, at least with the travel, is provide an opportunity. Mm. You know that, I, and I recognize not everybody can provide that opportunity. And listen, when we provided it, we couldn't. This is not. You're not looking at a family that was wealthy or had you know uh, life savings that they could you know just sort of tap into. We we emptied everything we had. We sold things. We rented things. We did whatever we could to, to make that trip happen. And we paid for it for years and years and years to come. I'd say it took us a decade to pay off that trip, but what it gave us well worth it. Oh my God. That's boss. Good. That's amazing. So, um, maybe I know we've gotten super tight into the onion, uh, to the core of it. I would love to hear about on a lighter note, some of the experiences, some of the places that you went that mm-hmm. you weren't expecting to be like, you know, what you had thought or places that just blew you away or, um, yeah, it's, I'm, it's super open-ended question, but I'm just, yeah, you guys did so much in a short amount of time. So I, we I'd did know. Yeah. I mean, there, I could tell you, there's a story for every place, you know, we, um, on the way back, we, we stopped in Portugal. Portugal was not on our list of places um, to visit when we left home. We actually were supposed to go to Greece. I specifically wanted to go to the Greek islands. Um, And somehow, just the way our timing worked out, we were going to get to Europe in uh, May, I think. And it was just not going to be warm enough to make sense to go there. That was the other thing is we followed the sun through this whole thing. I'm from Canada. I was born and raised here had enough snow for a lifetime. So we wanted sunshine and warm weather the whole time. And so Greece was just going to be too cold. And so we just sort of, you know, looked at the map and we're like, okay, well, where's warm right now? And we're just going to bide our time for a couple of days and then we'll head into Spain. And so Portugal was the winner and we went over there for what was supposed to be two nights and ended up staying for two weeks. And it was the only time on this entire trip where um, I was dead serious that we weren't going to go any further. I thought we are going to buy a home here and we're going to live here now. And this was the purpose of the trip. Who knew? But it was to find Portugal um, and to move here forever. And they had to Uh drag me kicking and screaming out of that country. I absolutely loved it. People were so kind um, to us there. The weather was great. The food was great. The approach to life. Uh, is so non-North American. I absolutely loved it. It's weird you brought up Portugal off that question. I yeah. have been a Portugal seeker for the last few years for a lot of reasons. Okay. So you said you've been forced to drag, kick, scream out of the country, and it was so non-what you've known. What, Non-North American, yeah. What was it about Portugal that just had you maybe supplanted I love that place so much. I've been back twice since and, and uh, we're, we're making plans to go again. Portugal, there's, you know, people talk about old world Europe, right? And usually when they're talking about that, I think they're referring to like buildings and um, sort of a genteelness or something that they imagine of Europe. But for me, Portugal was old school in the sense that the values that I, uh, I embrace, you know, that you should be kind to people, that you're considerate, you know, my kids know that my pet peeve are, is people that are rude, you know, so, so just, and there, I just found that people totally embrace those same ideas. They are so kind to the elderly. Mm. I'll give you a couple, I'll give you a couple examples. So one is, I remember we went for dinner one night 
And I think this was in Lisbon. We went for dinner one night. It was a small sort of mom and pop type restaurant, but it was full uh, pre-pandemic, obviously it was full. Um, and, uh, we were there and my husband said to the waiter, he came, waiter came over, we had some wine. He said, what can I get you guys tonight? And my husband said, ah, I can't decide. What do you think I should have? And the waiter said one second. And he went and said something to another waiter who then went and helped some other tables. And this guy came and sat down with us, like literally sat down with us at the table and then started going through the menu with my husband. Like, okay, so are you feeling this or this? Okay, well, this is like, this. oh, this was my grandmother's recipe. And we did, like, who does that? Like, there's just such a um, leaning into the humanity of situations there, uh, you know, that I loved. I'm like, you know, if I had done that in a restaurant here, <laughs> God would have said, like, I like the chicken. And you'd have moved on, right? And nobody would have expected anything more. But this guy really wanted us to have a great meal and just sort of leaned into it. Another moment was we were um, on a street corner in Portugal trying to hail a cab. And finally, no cabs were coming. It was sort of a residential area. And we finally found one. And the guy pulled over and he said, where are you going? And for me, I don't know for you, but for me, that's always a sign. Because to me, it's like, oh, you're going to make a decision now about whether you're going to take me based on how big the fare is. And so I already had my backup and he said, but let me, where are you going? But before you tell me, let me explain what the situation is. And he says, I have to go to, you know, X place to pick somebody up to take them somewhere. So if you're on the way to there, I can take you there. But if you're not, you're in a really difficult place to catch a cab. So let me call somebody to come and meet you here so that you can have a cab to go. Mm. Who does that? <laughs> like, it was just a series of kind gestures in this place. I love that you would go for lunch and nobody would ever rush you from that table. I could go for lunch at 11 and still be there at four and wow. nobody is moving you. No, they're, they're like, no, enjoy the space, enjoy the time, enjoy the meal. Like no pressure to like order something new or, and people talk to each other. It's just, it's just a wonderful, wonderful culture. Yeah. Loved it. Well, everything you said makes a lot of sense from a few people have told me to go, uh, but you seems like you had a really enriching experience, um, yeah. multitude of occasions, but yeah, you just hear the passion in your voice and the uh, electric kind of feel and fire you have towards the place. And um, yeah. so cool. Um, <laughs> we'd love to talk a little bit, by the way, thanks for sharing. So personally, intimately, openly, and experientially. No I mean, just what travel does for people. Um, yeah. It's uh, can, can really open people up for you. Let's say on a professional note. I mean, it's like your career has also taken a pretty cool trajectory. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't want to box you in, but you've been able, I mean, I feel like every, every woman's dream job is to maybe man's <laughs> too, but to be a tra travel journalist. Right. And it's like, you're, yeah. doing, you're doing it. You, that's you, you know, I'd love to know how you made it happen uh, on the career side. Uh, like you broke into something very difficult. You know what? But again, you know, we started off this conversation asking me about, you know, what's that one moment. And again, I would say that the thing that broke open my, my travel writing career was that trip because what it required was, we had to take a leap and do something different. And that trip totally 
um, at the time set us apart. So much so that like when we returned in um, June 2012, we were named as a family by National Geographic as Travelers of the Year. So uh, yeah, I thought it was really cool that my, my you know, six-year-old uh, can walk around saying at six, he was <laughs> National Geographic Traveler of the Year. Um, so it, it definitely got the attention of a lot of people when we decided to do that. And, um, you know, I think also that traveling for that, um, that year in that way, because at that time, Twitter was really big and Twitter was sort of, I was tweeting as I went, I would say that it was also a self-preservation thing because often when you're traveling, I don't know if you've had this experience, but often when you're traveling in places that are very different to what you do at home, you notice things that are different, that would be different to no one, only people at home would recognize that this is different, mm. right? Or see how it's the opposite of what you would do or why you might feel uncomfortable in this situation or how come you don't know where to turn or, or those sorts of things. People in the area, that's just life, right? Like that's just the normality of things. And so what I loved about Twitter at that time is it gave me this opportunity to um, sort of reach back to home and say like, hey, this is what I'm seeing and this is what I learned um, while I was here. And isn't this so cool based co- all you people who also share my upbringing and mindset. And so through Twitter, a lot of people began to follow our story that year. And I think that's how we got on the radar of, of National Geographic. And then once we were named, um, that gave me an opportunity to, the first story I wrote for National Geographic was about us. Mm. And that was in 2012. And um, I'm now a contributing editor for the magazine. So it's been this trajectory of, I think that the common denominator of everything, uh, any success I've had so far, I do television, I do radio, I do magazines, online, you name it. And I think the common denominator with all of it is that I, I talk about the things that I've experienced and I try to bring people with me to the places I've um. been. So, I mean, you, you speak, I mean, you're pulling me into the conversation, just talking. Imagine the writing is very evocative and where the audience. I hope so. Well, I hope so. It's so, it's so um, acute. Um, and the way you've used language with your voice, I feel intimately there traveling alongside you. Like I felt like I was on the street corner in China. <laughs> Were you scared like, too? <laughs> No, like you put, you put, no, I wasn't scared, (laughs) but you put, you put, uh, probably because I'm always asking for, for directions from strangers. So even in America, so that just, that tells you anything. Um, so, but I, I did, I was like, I was even visualizing in Portugal, like sitting down at a cafe and just, I also envisioned going to a siesta and sleeping and then coming back and the table still being there. So, you know, but you, you, you open the corridor for it to, um, yeah. going different ways. So, um, that's great. That's, that's what I strive to do because I think people, it can change people. You know, one of the things that when we first decided to do this trip and, you know, yes, we made the decision for ourselves personally, and yes, we made it for me professionally, but I very quickly realized, I don't know if I would say I was consumed with guilt, but I felt like this is so unfair. Like my two kids are going to have this, I knew, right. They're going to have this incredible experience. 
And there are so many other kids I wish could have that experience that simply won't have that opportunity, right? Whether it's a cost factor or, um, you know, their families aren't open to the idea in the same way, or the risks are different or health. Like there's just so many reasons why kids can do it. And so it was really important to me then and now that families could see themselves in what we were doing mm-hmm. and could relate to what we were doing right. so that hopefully, and I've, I've had this feedback that, you know, where parents will bring an article home to their kids or show them something on, you know, a video of ours or what have you, not as a look what we did, but more of like, look what's out there. Like, look at the possibilities that are out there, mm. you know, and that you can aspire to, or, 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 you know, do when you're older or, you know, try to get to it. I don't know. It was, it was always really important. Yeah. You seem to really approach this year with such intentionality. And this wasn't just this aimless jaunt through the world. It was no. an intentional cultivation and that the reward has been tenfold. It sounds like, and yeah. I think it's beautiful. Uh, what you learned about yourselves, how you're sharing it with others, um, and just what it's led to. And, yeah, that's why I was so inspired and um, mm-hmm. share a little offline, but similar paths. And um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just think it's so cool to hear it from your perspective as a mother, a wife, a per- an individual. Yeah. And uh, you know, everything that you went through. And uh, I'm just so grateful for you sharing and um, just so excited for you and what what's to come and last question for you and then we'll tell people where to find you yeah you look at the next five or ten years even though like you you live sounds like very fluidly and organically yeah uh, what, what are some of those dreams that you have for for yourself and then the people that you want to impact through your work through your message and, and what you stand for as a person Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting because, you know, two things have changed. One was the pandemic. Um, You know, that got me, you know, of course it was tragic for a lot of people and it was a difficult time for all of us. But the one thing that I, you know, if I was going to say there was a silver lining there was that a lot of families had an opportunity during that time to spend time together. And it's time that they wouldn't normally have. And I'm really hopeful that you know, as frustrating as some of that might have been, you know, I know parents struggled with schooling with their kids and that sort of thing and working from home that there, I hope that there are people who, who saw that as an opportunity to get to know their kids a little better. Mm. Um, and to maybe, even though they didn't take them around the world, they got, they got the, that same sort of intense time. And Mm. so I hope people, I'm excited about what we're going to see from others in terms of, as a result of some of that time together. Um, as far as for us, we're at a weird pivot because now I'm, I'm about to be an empty nester. Uh, one child is already off to university. The other one will leave in September. Um, so I'm excited about this next section of my life when it's my husband and I again, and, and we're going to, you know, you can bet that I will be very difficult to find at home. Uh, we will be hitting the road as much as we can. Um, once we, you know, when we don't have kids here to, to, to worry about, um, and kids who can join us uh, when they can. So I'm looking forward to that. And, you know, professionally, I'm hoping I would really love to do something. I want to continue in travel. I, I don't see retirement in my future. Like, you'll have to retire me. Um, so I, I'm hoping that I can continue in travel and 
maybe I'll do a TV show or something so that I can take people with me even more. Well, I think the sky is the limit for you. hundred percent. You'll fly yeah. the plane where you want it to go. And uh, <laughs> I'm so excited for uh, you and what's ahead. And thanks for such an incredible chat. What a beautiful experience and formative uh, period, but also one that shaped you for so many years to come. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. I enjoyed it. And last thing, where can people find you? Twitter? All over. So uh, on social, I'm at by B-Y Heather G-D, like a byline. Uh, And uh, my websites are heathergreenwooddavis.com and globetrottingmama.com. Love it. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on The One Away Show. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, please leave a review and follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Have a one-away moment you'd like to share? Follow me on Twitter or Instagram at brianwish underscore or reach out to me on LinkedIn and tell me about the moment that altered your life. The One Away Show is produced by ArcBound a company dedicated to helping entrepreneurs, experts, and visionaries launch authentic personal brands. From message development to podcast production, social media content generation, and book writing, we work with you to create your arc. Head to arcbound.com to learn more. Thank you for listening, and please join me next time on The One Away Show.